Bible? Raise your hand. They'll get you one. You're going to need it. You get to keep it if you don't have one. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Right here. You got over to your left. Bing. Yeah, just pass them out. You see, there's a bunch of hands. You walked right by them. They're just, they're, they're floundering over there. Yeah. First John. First John. And then this morning, we're going to start uh, in chapter 2 of First John. Chapter 2 of First John. And one of the things that we, we do here is um, we delineate between my words and God's words. So here's how we do it. We stand for the reading of the word of the Lord and we sit for the word of the teacher. One is amazing and the other is not. <laughs> and, and one of the, uh, the joys of it to realize, I, I remember Chuck Smith was saying to John Corson when he was teaching a, an evening service and he was teaching through the Psalms. And Chuck said, you need to teach more psalms on a Sunday service. He said, if I do that, if I add more psalms, all I'm going to be able to do is just read the psalms. I won't even be able to comment. And Chuck goes, and the problem with that is? God's Word is enough. And by the way, the best version of the Bible, the best translation of the Bible, bar none, the best translation of the Bible is the one you read the most. Thanks, Ralph. Um, The one you read the most, with the exception of the New World Translation. Okay, so... First John chapter two, uh, two verses this morning as we study through the, uh, the First John epistle. Epistle means letter. We're going to do two verses this morning, beginning in chapter two. The apostle John, ninety years old when he's writing this, ninety years old, last living apostle on the face of the earth, and he's writing this, and he begins by saying, "My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin." Everyone say, "Not sin." Not sin. If anyone sins. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation woo, for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Amen? Amen? Lord, You know what You want to say in relation to Your Word. And so, Father, may man decrease that Your Spirit might increase and be glorified. Lord, I pray that You would establish the two principles in these verses, advocate and propitiation that folks would leave this room today secure, knowing in whom they have trusted. And so, Lord, we commit all this into your capable hands, and we thank you, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. Well, John wrote this epistle, and he wrote it when he he was old. Now, 90 years of age, back then, 90 was... 120. I mean, nobody lived in 90 years of age. John's 90 years old. My, my godfather, he's going to be coming to my daughter's wedding August 3rd, and my godfather is in his 100th year. So he's 99, coming up to his 100th birthday. So he's in his 100th year. That's how we like to look at it. And technically, he's past his 100th year because we're pro-life. He was, uh, he was a baby in the womb. So that's another year, nine months you add to that. So technically, he's 100. Yeah! So... But, you know, he's, he's a little bummed. I was sitting with him the other day. He said, you know, i got to get another. I have had one cataract surgery in this one. i got to get another cataract surgery in this one, then corrective lenses, and then I can get my license back to drive. <laughs> Don't feel bad. He is an amazing driver. And, you know, movement is life. And, and uh, my, my, uh, my, God, my godfather's wife sent a picture of my Uncle Bob on a scooter. <laughs> he's moving no matter what. We call him Admiral Defiance, and he just keeps it going. But... Um, uh, at 99 years of age, it's pretty impressive. He's the highest-ranking survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor. I talk about him a lot. I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed that God would bless me with such a, a legend, uh, and I'd associate my life with him. But at 99 years of age, he's, he's, he's 
that's pretty profound. I mean, we're all moved by that, aren't we? Uh, and here, John is 90. You know, for the longest time, up until Ronald Reagan, the president who lived longer than any other president in the United States was John Adams. He was 90 years old, I think, or 91 years of age, or 90 years old when he, when he died. That was unheard of back then. He, he and uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson died on the same day, 50 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, July 4th. They both died on the same day. I think God was saying something, but that's just me. And, and he was the oldest living president in the history of the United States until Ronald Reagan. Then Ronald Reagan took that, that mantle, and then Gerald Ford stole it. Um, <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out. I'm a Ronald Reagan fan. And the reason why I'm a Ronald Reagan fan, I'm irritated by George, uh, I mean, uh, Gerald Ford, is because I was at LAX one time when I was the traveling salesman. I was coming back from a sales meeting, and I saw Gerald Ford in the gift shop at LAX. And I said, hey, would you sign this? And he was, like, irritated. <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> Broke the pencil, threw it across, grabbed the pen, signed it. I'm like, thanks. All right. <laughs> I might not vote for you again. But then again, you're not running, so we don't have anything to talk about. Bye-bye. But he outlived Reagan, and all right. My point is this. John's old. He's old. And, uh, and he's writing this, and, and here he is. Listen, Israel's fallen. Rome has destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. It's been decimated. John's the last living apostle, the last one to see Christ alive. His country is wiped out. What he grew up with is gone. He's living in a foreign land in Ephesus. He's taking care of Mary, who, depending if you're Catholic or Protestant, she was either taken up or she died. And I'm not here to contend that. And, and, and yet, here he is. He's still alive, and he's writing this epistle to the churches, and he's contending for the faith in what you would call a postmodern culture. Postmodern. Even Augustine went through a postmodern culture when, when Rome had completely fallen. Uh, you, you had... Uh, you had Carthage and all the others, and Rome had fallen, and here Augustine uh, was the last theologian of strength, and he would usher mankind through the dark ages so that when he came through the other side, this, this new birth of Christendom would take with the Reformation, and, and the world would take hold in the Western culture, and Christianity would flourish, and, and you'd see this establishment. And here we are watching as those things that we've hold, held dear for so long are starting to implode. They call it the tri- triangle of freedom. Freedom and virtue go together doing the right thing, and we're watching as this triangle in, in our culture where this transition of, of liberty without a shot being fired, perpetual liberty being transitioned from one generation to the next for 237 years in the United States is imploding, and we may watch in our lifetime as these rights are usurped and, and this, this experiment of liberty is gone. It may happen. There isn't going to be an enormous revival and a transformation of the human heart. If there's anyone to lead us in this concept of what liberty is, we may lose what we've been given for 237 years. And how do you survive when everything you know has been wiped out? Well, John did. Augustine did. We may be the remnant. We may be in exile. The Jews survived it. The diaspora, you see in, in Jeremiah 29, they survived for thousands of years and kept their identity as foreigners in every land. I had one of the young couples come up to me, and she said, we're pregnant. And I was like, that's awesome, because that's how you survive in captivity. You build houses, you, 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 you birth children, you raise them, you give them away in marriage, and you just, you just focus on the things of the Lord no matter what the boundaries say, and you establish that. Nothing changes. doesn't matter if Proposition 8 is thrown down. doesn't matter if any of these things happen. doesn't matter. God's on the throne, and we're His people. 
Nothing changes. We stand firm. We'll be tested. We'll be challenged. But we stand firm. And that's what John's saying. And, and, and in the midst of it, all these influences are coming in. There's two heresies that are attempting to destroy the church. And the heresies are, are things that are contrary to Orthodox Christianity, and, and they're called Gnostics. And there were two realms of Gnosticism, and I talked about those last week. And if you don't remember or you're here for the first time, just pick up. Uh, you can get online and listen to the message from last week, and you'll, you'll get those. Because I don't want to revisit them for the sake of redundancy. But there are two heresies in Gnosticism that they were dealing with. And, and John is like, let's deal with these. And he just, he's the hammer. Zero tolerance for these folks coming in to try to skim off these, these young, impressionable Christians with this idea of the, of the deeper truth club or the, the deeper knowledge club. Oh, yeah, you're not quite there, but if you follow me, uh, you're going to see some things that you wouldn't see in typical Christianity. And I'll tell you, the people most susceptible to that, that, that nausea, people most susceptible to that heresy, people most susceptible to that cultic realm, sadly, are those that really have a heart to want to serve God. They're, they're prone to fall prey to heresy. And that's why you're Bereans. You study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have a, a, a family in our church that came out of a cult. And they came out of a cult because they fell in love with the word of God and they saw as Bereans that what they were involved with wasn't legitimate. An amazing family. God will deliver you as you just cling to his word and seek that. God has a way of protecting all of us. And so John is declaring these heresies and he's laying it out and he just says, uh, this is, this, these are false doctrines and they're trying to infiltrate the church and you just need to shut it down. And I love the tender aspect of his, of his address to the church. He says, my little children. At 90 years of age, pretty much everybody's a child to you, right? I was talking to my, my godfather, I, and, and I was visiting Dr. Crilly, who's 93, and I said, uh, Uncle Bob, I need to go visit Alice. He says, how's she, how's she doing? I said, well, she's getting ready to have her 93rd birthday. She goes, ah, she's just a youngster. <laughs> Everybody's a child to a 99-year-old admiral. Well, that's how John was. Nobody was older than John. And he would, he would declare to the church, my, my little children. And then he says, these things I write unto you, and he was declaring the purpose for this letter that he was writing, these things I write unto you. And we saw in chapter 1, we studied it earlier, he said, this is why I'm writing to you. He said, that your joy may be full. You remember that? In the first chapter, he says, I'm writing to you that your joy may be full. We know that in Christ is the fullness of joy. But, but the main reason that your joy may be full is what he says. And now he says in chapter 2, this is why I'm writing to you. Look, he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And you guys repeated, not sin. Right? Yeah, good, thank you. I didn't mean like now. I said earlier you did. (laughs) We write to you so that you may not sin. So he says, I'm writing to you first of all so that your joy may be full. Now I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. And then he goes on later in the epistle to say, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Three things that he emphasizes in this epistle. That your joy may be full, that you would not sin, and that you would have eternal life. And the beauty of those three things is they all tie together. They all tie together in the epistle. The fullness of joy comes with our, our, our fellowship with the Father. That's where the fullness of joy comes. In Him is the fullness of joy. So our fellowship with the Father. But our fellowship with the Father is directly related to our being cleansed from sin. We're separated from the Father by our sin. And so John points out, you've got to get rid of that. Because it hinders your relationship with the Father. And he writes to them that they wouldn't sin. But he says, you can't have fullness of joy when you're living in sin. It just doesn't work that way. 
You can't have fullness of joy when you're living in sin. It just doesn't work that way. I got a letter this week about somebody who was concerned about the illustration I used about the basketball player. The sin is irrelevant. The sin is irrelevant. My point was, it's practicing sin and declaring yourself to be a Christian and not calling it sin, but saying it's acceptable to God. It isn't. That was my point. I don't care what the sin is. It was an illustration pointing it out, but it's somehow taboo that I can't talk about that sin. We're held captive by 3% of the population. I can talk about it. I may be in jail, but I can talk about it. It's practicing sin and saying it's okay. It isn't. And neither is adultery and practicing and saying it's okay. It isn't. That was my point. It's always been my point. God doesn't turn a blind eye to it. Your sin separates you from God. It separates you this, this joy. Listen, you can be happy while you're sinning. You can. And I got to tell you even more, sin is a lot of fun. Apparently, I, I'm talking to a wrong audience. I, I got to tell you, it's a lot of fun. But had I known at 16 what I know at 48, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have. It's awful. It was fun at the time. Consequences are awful. It may be sweet in my mouth, but it's bitter in my belly. Consequences of sin bring pain and misery. I can, I can look around the room. It doesn't take me but seconds. I, I, better yet, I could look in a mirror and it would take me a moment to declare to you that, that that moment of sin, is it worth weeks, months, years, decades worth of pain? No. Had I known at 16 what I know at 48, I wouldn't have done it. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't make the rules to ruin all the fun. Sin is not sin because it's forbidden. It's forbidden, or excuse me, sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. God wants to keep you from that hell. And it takes you, it takes all the joy. It brings pain and misery. And John looks at the congregation, he says, listen, there's three things. I want you to have the fullness of joy, and you got you to stay away from sin. And then, in addition, I just want you to know you have eternal life. Nothing can take that away. Now, there might be some in the room and go, well, you know, you can lose your salvation, Pastor. You can. Really? Well, cut my legs off and call me shorty. Jesus said, he who's been placed in the Father's hand, no man can remove. I have told you this, it says in John, 1 John, that you may know that you have eternal life. Know that you have eternal life. Know that you have eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal. eternal. Say eternal. eternal. If you could lose it, is it eternal? Thank you. Let's move on. I mean, serious. We don't get there by what we do, and we can't lose it by what we do. We get there by what he did. Well, and pastor, what about all those Christians that have received Christ and continue in sin? Their life is a heathen mess. Jason Collins. Listen, I'm not contending whether Jason Collins is in heaven or not. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is you can't call what's evil good. It doesn't work that way. 
All right? And the point is this. You can continue in your sin. I mean, I, I get it all the time. Pastor, if I commit adultery, am I still going to heaven? Yes. And guess what? Turn to 2 Peter. You don't have to do that now. Do it on your own time. Read about righteous Lot who tormented his righteous soul. That righteous man by giving his eyes and ears audience to the things of this world. I would love to have my name in the New Testament and next to my name the word righteous. Anyone else? Who's Lot? Oh, Lot. He was Abraham's nephew. Oh, how did he get righteous next to his name? Oh, by faith. He believed in God. He was saved by faith, by grace, through faith. Not of himself, it was a gift to God, the same man should boast. <laughs> how did he get his name righteous? What did he do? Oh, let me tell you what he did. Amazing. He lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. That just makes San Francisco look like heaven. Not only did he live there, he would be the equivalent of a council member. He sat at the city gate. He considered all the men that came to his house to have sex with the angels. Brothers, brothers, why would you do such a horrible thing? All the men, young and old, came to the house to, with the angels. You know what he says? Let me give you my virgin daughter who's never been with a man. You take them. Wow, this is a righteous guy, isn't he? Pretty stinking amazing. Well, that's not enough. He gets out of Sodom and Gomorrah before all hell breaks loose and the ashes come down, hail, brim, firestone, <laughs> cooks it. His wife looks back, turns into a pillar of salt. <laughs> Cows, <laughs> She's only about this big nowadays. So she's left there. He gets up to a cave with his two daughters. Two daughters say, we're not going to have any children. So they get dad drunk. You don't get dad drunk. Oh, pastor, alcoholism is a disease. Okay. All right. I know there's people who have a propensity to alcoholism. I get it. You don't have an off valve. I know. I'm Scotch-Irish. God invented whiskey to stop the Irish from ruling the world. (laughs) We were this close, I'll tell you. But if it's a disease, it's the only disease I know where you have to take the lid off and ingest it. All right. Now, he gets drunk, and the two daughters incest. There's young kids. They'll figure that out with their parents later. If you don't know what it is, talk to me afterwards. Two children are born from that. Righteous lot, righteous man, righteous soul. Are you kidding me? Well, let me look around the room. It would take me but a moment to show a videotape of what you think in secret before you would have some sort of condemnation for lot. You're all in it and so am I. There's none righteous, no, not one. Thank you, Keith. And with that being said, The only good thing in our life is Jesus Christ. So if you think you're getting to heaven by your good works, you're wrong. 
And if you think you can lose eternal life because you fail, you also are wrong. I, John says, I write to you that your joy may be full. Let me tell you how miserable this kind of a Christian life is. If you think Christianity is, I love what Pastor Dave says, a wheelbarrow full of rules with a black robe on a tight rope. Oh, don't screw up. Oh. And you're walking around going, yeah, that's, that's a sin. <laughs> Can't do that. Nobody wants to be around you. You look like you've been eating lemons all day. Well, pastor, I just don't think that that color is acceptable on a pastor on a Sunday. You should wear a tie because it's sanctified. I'll wear a tie when I want to wear a tie. I'll wear this lime green gelato shirt when I feel like it. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, yes. Where are they? Let them know that this is awful. <laughs> I'm righteous in my unrighteousness. We, listen, we, as, as human beings, we have an unbelievable ability to elevate ourselves where we don't belong. We're beggars showing other beggars where the food is. And so with that being said, how do you make your joy full? Does joy come in indulging in sin? Does God give us grace so we can get to the edge and say, hey, look, I'm in. I, I, I can commit adultery and still go to heaven. No. No, he doesn't. That doesn't bring joy. Joy separates you from the Father. That's why, that's why, that's why John says, don't sin. But basically, he says, stop it. <laughs> stop it. I get a kick out of it. You guys know Bob Newhart? I'm going to show you a clip. This is one of the funniest clips. Do we have it? You got to see this clip. Lower the lights if you would. Two words, stop it. All right? I'll just show you a little bit of it. He's playing a psychiatrist, and it's very funny. And I practice his principles when you come in for counseling. I just wanted you to know that. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Can we get some sound? Uh, yes. There we C- go. Come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes, still uh, being uh, buried alive in a box. Yes, yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And uh, let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes, and, and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can, I can almost guarantee you that, that our session won't last the full, uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in, in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow, okay. And, uh, and I, I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but 
truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most We find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it. I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since childhood. No, no, childhood. no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been... All right, that's good. It's only been... <laughs> stop it. I was... One of my favorites was she said, you know, uh, but ever since I was a child, he goes, oh, we don't go there. Even the Apostle Paul said, forgetting what is behind. Striving for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm, I'm sure you've got every reason under the, earth, uh, under the sun as to why you do what you do that's contrary to what God wants you to do. And I imagine you've got all kinds of people to blame. Stop it. You're a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away, the new's come. The Apostle John says that you may not sin. No temptation, the scripture says, has seized you, but that which is common to man. And when you're being tempted, God will give you a way out. The problem is, it's not that there's not enough strength to overcome the sin. We just don't try. It's not that God won't give us the strength to overcome it. We just don't want to do it. We love our sin more than we love the Lord. The author of Hebrews says, have you not resisted unto blood the striving against sin? Yeah, it's hard. I get it. And you have a desire and a temptation, but if you, if you cling to the Lord and you cry out to him, you'll find help in your time of need. But we don't. Oh, the temptation's too strong. Well, the God you serve is stronger. Lay, you're not going to get one by on me. There's not a bigger sinner in this room than me. And when John says, I, I write this letter to you so that your joy may be full, the thing that's hindering your joy is your sin because it separates you from the Father. Yes, it's fun. 
It's pleasurable for a season, the scripture says, but in the end therein is death. And the Bible says that when, when temptation is united with your will, it conceives sin, and when sin is fully formed, it produces death. And they're using, they're using a reproductive term. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. But when temptation is united with your will, it produces, conceives, egg, sperm, zygote, conceives sin. When sin is fully formed, produces death. Death to relationships. Yeah, you're still going to heaven with adultery, but where are you going to spend Christmas? Who are your kids going to call dad? Let me tell you, the victims of divorce aren't you and your spouse. It's your kids. You know it as well as I do. This whole culture has been affected by it. There's not a family in this room that hasn't been affected by divorce. Sin, the Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. Plus, you're always having to lie. There's no intimacy. There's no honesty. You walk in the light. We're children of a, of a God who declares himself to be, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. You don't walk in darkness. Sin, I can tell you, I, let me help you manifest this concept of sin in your life that's separating you from the Father, that's stealing your joy. Anything you're doing in secret. Anything. My favorite. Dip, oh, excuse me. Has anyone, does anyone struggle with smoking cigarettes? Another person. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Liars. Anyone? Anyone struggling with cigarettes in your lifetime? Praise the Lord. I see your hand. You too. God bless you. Okay, three of us. Praise God. All right, listen. Mine's dipped tobacco. Some of you are going, oh, that's awful. Yeah, amen. It is. It's worm dirt. <laughs> and you know why I did dip tobacco instead of smoking like some of the honest people in the room who raise their hand? Because you can't smell it on a pastor. Stop it. <laughs> you stop it. <laughs> I did. Now, the entire time, I knew I was still going to heaven, but my joy wasn't full. I wouldn't want my kids to get in the car with me because they didn't want to see my dip cup. This is my world. This is my thing. My life. You're not invited in. I, I live in a fishbowl. This is what I get to do, apart from you. But you know what it did? It hindered intimacy with the Savior and with my family, and that's what sin does. It takes away joy. And after a while, the return isn't worth the investment. I like being with my kids. They're growing up awfully fast. Anytime they want to drive, I want to be in the car with me. I don't want to be ashamed of anything. I got to tell you, though, Satan is a master at temptation. He's a master at, at condemnation, too. You see, the Lord gives us every escape for temptation. But we fall into temptation and then into sin because we don't take the escape route that God provides. Even the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, flee youthful lusts. You know why he's saying it to Timothy? Because Paul was older. Paul was saying, like I said earlier, if I had known at 16 what I know at 48, I'm telling you kids, stop it. It is not worth it. Do you want to sit before your 16-year-old child and explain to them the screw-up that your life is because you are unwilling 
to give it to the Lord early on because it was fun? And then the consequences down the generational lines are awful. Some of you are dealing with it. You're, you're, you're dying to yourself in the pain that was inflicted on you and you're not letting it get to another generation because you're putting it before the altar and God's allowing it to die. Bless you. Some of you, though, use the pain inflicted on you to justify your sins. Stop that. You don't have anyone to blame but yourself. Oh, but you don't know what my parents... We don't go there. Forgetting what is behind striving for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then as, as we get into the passage, I love this. It says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Amen? How many people have sinned so far today? Could you raise your hand? Okay, rest of your liars, just raise your hand then. Let's just do it together. All of you have sinned. You're sinning right now because you're irritated with me and God's like, well, guilty. <laughs> Your pride. You're guilty. And in this, I love that he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. I'm all for that. But as we've proven this morning, and no one more so than the man behind this wooden platform, we blow it. Yes? Yes? And so John wisely says, and if anyone sins, <laughs> I'm in. If anyone sins, what do we do? What, what, what do we do? Because I sinned. I, did, I, I sinned already. What do I do? The Lord says through John, if anyone sins, I love what he says, we have an advocate with the Father. Advocate. I love that word. The term today would be considered an attorney. Nothing like a good attorney. Everyone should have one. Good attorney. And, and, and the word that we find in the, in the Greek for advocate is, is parakleton. It's the same word we get for the Holy Spirit. Para means alongside. Paraclete, the one who comes alongside to comfort. It's like parallel lines alongside. Parakleton, the one who comes alongside to, to, to give another one comfort and give another one strength. I mean, you can see it. You can see it when, when the man's arraigned for what he's done and he's standing before the judge and next to him, I mean, he's just thrashed. He's wearing an orange jumpsuit. He's got three days growth worth of beard and he just looks depressed and he smells. And next to him is a finely dressed attorney ready to advocate for him. That's the picture that we see here. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, called to our side, one who pleads, uh, pleads another one's case. And let me tell you something about our advocate. You think Perry Mason's good. Our advocate has never lost a case. And if you open up in the yellow pages and you look to find out who he is, his name is called Jesus Christ the Righteous. I'm in. I mean, wouldn't you pick that out of the yellow pages? Jesus Christ the righteous, who's never lost a case. Let him be your advocate today. Call 1-800-YOU'RE-A-LOSER. <laughs> we have someone to come alongside us and plead our cause. And this is powerful because it goes on to say in verse 2 that Jesus himself is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, big, giant, nasty word. Kind of gives you a headache. It just simply means that your sins are covered and remitted, forgotten. That's why we don't go there. God casts your sins as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. 
He has no idea what you're talking about. You do, because you have a conscience. And, and the worst thing about it is you remember what you did, and Satan loves to remind you about what you did. First of all, Satan plays two roles. He puts on one hat, and he says, you know what, Rob? Being a minister, you're in a fishbowl. The Bible says you're more strictly judged. You just need a little you time. Just take some dip, just a little tobacco. I mean, that's just between you and <laughs> you. and you. That's yours. That's all good. Then you take it. And listen, I was free from it for six years, did it again in another year and a half of misery. I'm free of it now. But it's, it's, it's one dip away. Right? Some of you know that feeling with alcohol. It's just one drink away. Have you resisted as unto blood? God will give you a way out. And so in this case where... The return's not worth the investment. I'm tired of my family breaking down. I'm tired. Whatever it is for you, God will give you a way out. But Satan's telling you, no, 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 no. It's just hard. Just take the drink. Just take the pill. Just, just take the dip. God will forgive you. He's so good at reminding you that. God will forgive you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> you do it. And then he goes, turns the hat around and goes, you pathetic loser. What were you thinking? Why would God want anything to do with you? He's a roaring lion roaming about seeking me to devour. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the condemner. Paul said in Romans 8, who is he that condemns? It's Satan. And he just is vicious. How could you do that again? Six years you were free. You're back in it. What kind of a pastor are you? He just pounds you and pounds you and pounds you. You know the Bible says in Matthew? It says that when your accuser is arguing and, and jumping on you, you look at him and you go, I agree with you. The Bible says to agree with your accuser on the way to the court. You just look at Satan and you go, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right too. Yeah, that one's right also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just pile it on. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Check, 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 check. <laughs> There's a couple you don't have there. Let me just give those to you. <laughs> Why? Because when you accuse agree with your accuser, you, you're humble, right? And then you get to the judge. And by the way, the accuser the whole time is going, look what you did to your family, look what, look what you've done to your church, look what you've done. Oh, he just loves it. He just wants you to make you feel like a penny looking for change. Romans 8, 1 says, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's condemning you, but you're saying there's no condemnation. But I agree with you, I did do that. And then you get to the judge, and here's what happens. You get to the court of law, and you got this guy, and he's laid the case, and it is a thorough case, and he's got a documented time, date, and place that you've committed these sins. And here we are at 1033 on a Sunday morning, and he's already got them listed since you woke up this morning at 950. (laughs) And he starts listing them, and the father's up there going, "Uh uh-huh, yes, the judge, he's up there, yeah. And you're standing there with your advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, (laughs) who happens to be the son of the judge. I think we are going to win this case again. And the judge says, "Uh, what do you have to say about your client? And Jesus Christ, the righteous, my advocate, my paracleton, looks at the judge, his father, and says, Dad, yes, you'll see entries for everything that he said. Your time's coming. 
And I'm saying you'll see listings there, but as you'll notice, the accusations are illegible and can't be read because, Father, they're covered in my blood. At which point, the Father, the judge says, case dismissed. Case dismissed, why? Propitiation. Dismissed, remitted, forgotten. Justice served. Blood shed for the remission of sins. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. Where do you get that, Pastor? Uh, Leviticus 17.11, read it on your own. Hebrews 9.22, read it on your own. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. I was a young boy, and I remember in Coronado, California, throwing a baseball at nine years of age against a wall at the neighbor's house, the Gallards. And it was a great one to throw the baseball, and I was practicing for Little League and Home Depot, which is a team, and I'm throwing that ball, just throwing it. And then... Tried to do a curveball or, I don't know, fork fastball or something. I don't know. And just, you know, you mess with it and it just goes off in the wrong direction and shatters the window to the right. So loud you hear it and uh, Mr. Gillard comes out and he's upset. And he's just cussing like a drunken sailor and says, where's your dad? And I go, you know, with my tail between my legs and get my dad. And he comes out and Mr. Gillard says, Captain McCoy. That window's been broken three times. I know your boy didn't do it all three times, but I've replaced it twice, and it's expensive. And I said, I know nine-year-old boys throw a ball against the wall, and I know that's what they do. But I am not paying for that window. He broke it. He's going to pay for it. I did. I'm guilty. Somebody's got to pay. I look at my dad. I'm nine. I don't have any money for the window. I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't pay that. Let me tell you something. The debt you have, you could never pay in a thousand lifetimes. And my dad said to Mr. Gillard, I'll pay for it. Justice served. You can't pay for your sin. Jesus did. Propitiation, advocate. All right. Enough said. Story closed. Let me ask you a question. You're here for the first time. You may not be a Christian. You may not like the word sin. Get over it. No, I'm serious. I'll I'll make it simple for you. Are you perfect? No. No, you aren't. Have you ever hurt anybody? Yes, you have. Is there truth? Yes. Yes. Is there right? Is there wrong? Yes. Are there absolutes? Whether you agree or you don't agree, you can say, no, there's no absolutes. And right even there, you've described an absolute. You're not getting out of this. You will stand before God and give an accounting of your life. And if you're going to stand before him and say you're a good person, it isn't going to work. You broke the window. And you keep doing it. And you've tried your whole life to stop it and you can't. Because in you, in your flesh dwells no good thing. We can all agree, we're all screw-ups. No one bigger in the room than me. But the beauty of it is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, what happens, what John points out is he says, I've written this epistle that your joy may be full. And here's where the joy comes from. You stop sinning. And the way you do it is, is not a have to, But you yield, and the Lord, he says, there's no temptation that seized you, but that which is common to man, when you're being tempted, I'll give you a way out. He'll help you. But here's the beauty of it. If you screw up, 
I got you covered. I'll be with you in front of the judge, Dad. And I'll tell you what, you, you sit through one court case like that, when the guy's yelling at you, telling you what a loser you are, and you watch your advocate win the case on your behalf, and you realize all the pain you've caused by that, you look at the advocate, you look at the judge, and you say, I don't ever want to do that again. And your advocate says, I can help you. You just trust me through this time. I will. You don't have to continue in sin. There's a way out. You just got to take it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you. Sin is pleasurable for a season. And, and let me tell you something else. Sin is easy. It comes natural to every person in this room. I don't have to work at being a sinner. But I got news for you. And, and here comes an honest assessment. Is the return really worth the investment? Is your family blessed by what you're doing? And are you doing it in the light? And, and does it draw you closer to the Father and to the Son? And is your joy full? Or do you wake up in the morning with a headache and regret? John wants you to stop it. But more importantly, so does Jesus. I got to tell you, the demands of the law have been propitiated. Christ has taken care of it. But he wants you to walk in the fullness of it. We have to do that. And the only time that you have God's security and his joy, all these things work together and that you know that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life is when you're abiding in the Son. All these things work together and that's why John is declaring it in his epistle. And he's 90 years of age. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes and mine. So stop it. Our God is powerful enough to deliver us from whatever it is we're struggling with. No temptation has seized you. I close with this story, and I love this story. When Abraham Lincoln was president, his son Robert Lincoln ended up becoming an officer and, and Grant's staff. But when Robert Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's son, um, he had a friend. Robert Lincoln had a friend who was an, uh, a private in the Union Army. And Robert Lincoln wrote him a letter, and he said, listen... You're in one of the toughest divisions in one of the most heated locations in the campaign for the union. He said, if things get tough, just let me know and I'll have my dad fix it for you. Well, Robert Lincoln didn't hear from his friend who was a private throughout the entire course of the war. It wasn't until after the war that they reconnected with each other. And the, and the private said to Robert Lincoln, he said, you know... I never took you up on your offer, but I want you to know what a comfort it was to me through the course of the war when I would be enduring ungodly struggles just to be able to say that I know at a moment's notice I can write a letter to Robert Lincoln and he'll have more authority than all of Abraham Lincoln's war cabinet because he's the president's son. This world would love to see an authentic Christian one who is governed by the commandments of God. One 
who has power to overcome sin and declares our God to be mighty. But if we just want to live at the basest of levels, we're not impressing anyone. And I just have to ask you, when are you going to be sick and tired of hearing him accuse you endlessly? Let's walk in the fullness of the joy that he has prepared for us. Stop it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I think about this idea that the fullness of our joy comes from our fellowship with you, Father. But our fellowship with you is related directly to our cleansing of our sin. Satan wants us to be separated from you. Lord, we thank you that conviction draws us closer to you, but condemnation pushes us away. And, and we rejoice this morning that your word declares that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And not only that, you give us a way out of the temptation of sin. That when we're being tempted, you give us a way out. There's no temptation that would seize us if we would but trust you. And so, God, I pray for every person in this room, more importantly for myself, that, God, you would strengthen the body of Christ to hold fast to your promise that you've overcome the world, you've overcome the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And, and as we're going through that trial of temptation, and, and, and Satan is ruthless, he always gets us when we're the most exhausted, but even in the midst of that, Lord Jesus, you proved... In, in the wilderness, after 40 days of hunger, that you could overcome every temptation that man faces because you did it in the strength of the Father. And you showed us that what you did, we too can do. And Lord, we want that fullness of joy, that intimacy with you. We think sin is pleasurable, but in the end, it's death, and we've watched it destroy our families long enough. God, deliver us. I pray freedom for all who are present. Lord, deliver them from the addictions of alcohol, drug abuse, prescription pain medications, pornography, adultery, fear, worry, anxiety, whatever it is, you have now been set free. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Jesus said the three words, it is finished, and now we can stop it. Lord, strengthen, we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Let's stand and worship that mighty God that has delivered us.